Hey, my name is Ross. It's my privilege to be the lead pastor here. I want to welcome our guest again this morning. It's a rather untypical Sunday, but we're always kind of untypical around here in some ways. We, uh, my hope for our church here is not uh, just to have a uh, gathering of strangers, but that we would really be a gathering of family, an extended family as a church. And I hope that you will uh, continue to join us and work your way into that family uh, and feel the special things that God is doing uh, within our body here. Uh, as a family, I just want to lift up, uh, before we jump into God's Word, I want to lift up some uh, family updates and prayer requests of a couple uh, kind of difficult things in our church family this week. Uh, many of you know Adzel and Jess Marmita. Uh, usually you're right back there in the back of that section. They're vacationing today, but Jess was uh, in a pretty um, pretty bad car accident. I think it was on Wednesday or Thursday. I went to the ER. The car was completely totaled, uh, but Jess was later released from the ER and seems to be doing well, so just uh, continue to lift up her and her bruises and uh, banged up um, but they are still out and about this weekend. So pray for Jess and Adzel and little Troy as well. Also a tragedy, uh, Leonovich is one of our wonderful, faithful volunteers with our high school kids, as well as she's here early every Sunday, uh, usually about 8.30, setting up our kids' classrooms. Leah, uh, I'm not sure where her sister lives, but uh, not in Texas. Leah's sister was shot um, I think it was Thursday or Friday night in an attempted uh, carjacking, actually, and uh, nearly lost her life. Um, I think they even pronounced her dead at one point, but she is struggling, and Leah has, has driven to be with her family and be a support. And uh, Another prayer request is that Leah's family are not believers, so uh, it's, it's a difficult time. She's trying to bring hope to a really... Uh, difficult situation. So pray for Leah Novich. And sec, uh, thirdly, I just want to recognize Luke is here this morning. If you got energy to stand up, Luke was in the hospital this week as well with an abscess issue. And uh, so it's, man, I'm glad you're here. That's surprising. Uh, so uh, please continue to lift Luke up and uh, his health, health issues that he faces uh, weekly, monthly. Um, another thing I just want to bring to our attention, I, I did this last week as well, but just want to bring attention to our church family. We Today we're going to have this activity to help raise some money to send our kids to camp. Uh, last week we had a golf tournament. It was kind of the, the prequel of the Byron Nelson around here. Um, it's a pretty big deal. A lot of incredibly talented players. But uh, we had a golf tournament and raised about $2,000 towards this Haiti trip, this home that we're going to build. So it's awesome. Appreciate uh, all you that went out and played and those of you that even tried to play. Uh, uh, one thing I just want to mention as we send kids to camp, as you're generous to help build a home in Haiti, I just want to remind you we want to be about a, uh, a mission as a church to help the world around us and to help people meet Jesus and to provide homes and food for people without. I also want to remind you that as a church family, we also need your generosity as well to continue doing uh, the ministry and the mission that God has called us to here in, in this context. So for the past few months, we've run about $5,000 behind budget. Uh, we've also kept down some expenses, so uh, we're not bleeding terribly, but we, we like to inform our church family uh, at least twice a month on kind of where we are. So I just want to encourage you to 
prayerfully consider your giving. We have a brand new giving platform, uh, online app, um, a new platform on our app as well as on our website that makes it super simple if you prefer to give that way. But uh, we'd just love for you to uh, know that and to prayerfully consider how you can uh, support not only the missions of our church, but also the ministry that happens here uh, in uh, Collin County. So let me pray for those needs and pray, uh, thank God for his provision to us and um, as we open up God's word here, okay? Bow with me. Father God, we thank you uh, so much for uh, the bounty, the provision that we endure, the health that is uh, ours mostly. Um, So we pray, God, that we would just find you faithful. We would look to you in our hurts. We would look to you in our tragedies uh, when we are uh, sick, when we are in difficulty. We would look to you uh, to provide once again for us through your grace. We thank you for Luke, and we pray for Leah as she's with her family, and uh, also Jess as she continues to to recover. We pray, God, for the kids that will go to camp this summer, that it will be a powerful time in their young hearts, and that you would draw them closer uh, to Jesus through that time or to begin a relationship with Jesus if they uh, do not have one. Thank you, Lord, for our opportunity to partner around the world and to provide a home for those less fortunate in Haiti, and pray that you would continue to provide to make that trip possible and to lead those who need to go on that trip to uh, courageously step out and do that. Thank you, God, for all the things that you're doing through Centennial Church. Thank you so much for the little ones that were in here and uh, just the joy that they are, uh, even the example that they are to us as we worship. So we give you thanks for them. Uh, Lord, we love you and we give you praise. In the name of Jesus, amen. Well, go ahead and open your Bibles with me to Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to read Philippians 2 verses 12 through 18. We're going to focus on verses 14 through 18, but I'm going to back up and just give us kind of the wider context from 12 uh, and 13 as well. So Philippians chapter 2, I'd love for you to have a Bible in front of you or on your phone. There's a Bible on our Centennial Church app. So if you download our church app, you can just click down there at the bottom and find Philippians chapter 2, but uh, follow along with me as I read verses 12 through 18, okay? Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offerings of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Well, we have uh, been traveling quite a few weeks already in Philippians, and we've seen a lot of great things and some encouraging things. And uh, we've, we've saw back in chapter 1 that, that God, who began a good work in us, will be faithful to complete it. Um, our salvation is not dependent uh, upon our works or our, our faith even, but the God that began a good work in us will be faithful to complete it. 
Uh, We saw this wonderful mantra by Paul in uh, chapter 1, verses 21, where he says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Uh, An amazing uh, statement of faith there by Paul. We saw the amazing humility of of Jesus at the beginning of chapter 2. At the end of chapter 1, he kind of turns the focus, Paul turns the focus on his thankfulness for these people and his deep love for them and and begins to charge them. In verse uh, 27 of chapter 1, he says, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. He's turned the corner. He's beginning to instruct them on how they should live out their Christian faith, how they should work out, what we talked about last week, what God has worked in us, that we do have a responsibility to obey and to raise the sail of the sailboat, so to speak, as we talked about uh, last week. So that's been his emphasis, and there's been a lot of neat things, but perhaps as we get to our verses this morning, we find the most, what might be the most challenging verse in the book of Philippians. The most challenging verse to apply to our lives uh, day by day. And what am I speaking of? I'm speaking of verse 14. Look at it there with me again. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. I'm putting my money on the fact that that's a hard one for most of us to do. Uh, I know it's a hard one for me to do. I know it's a hard one for my children to do. Uh, That's tough. Tough words. Uh, I think it flows as a specific example, as we looked at last week, that we're supposed to work out our our salvation. We're supposed to live what we believe. We're supposed to work out what God has worked in us. And now Paul takes this one specific area of our language and our talk to apply, hey, this is what it looks like to work out your salvation, to live your salvation out in daily lives. And that is to not grumble, or some translations say murmur, or some translations say complain. Quit complaining. I was tempted. I was very tempted this week to entitle today's message in honor of my dad, who used to always say, quit your belly aching. (laughs) Anybody else have a dad like that? Quit your belly aching. Uh, But I decided uh, to forgo that. That's not the only point of the passage. I think uh, I've entitled today's passage, Shine as Lights, which we'll get to in a few minutes. But we definitely need to talk about this idea of complaining and grumbling, and it is a big deal. It's a, it's a big deal that in the book of Numbers, in the book of Exodus, as God's people were leaving uh, Egypt to go to the promised land, they get uh, a few steps away and they begin, begin complaining. They've been delivered from slavery, but the food's not good enough and it's taking too long and Moses doesn't know what he's doing and why do you have us out here in the desert? Yeah, why, where are we going? Murmuring, complaining, belly aching. It's been said that uh, optimists are those who see the glass half full and pessimists are those that see the glass half empty, right? But that complainers are those that see that the water is tepid and the glass has a smudge on it and there's also a streak and I just got this new dishwashing detergent that isn't supposed to streak and so why is it doing that and why do these things always happen to me? What's wrong? That's kind of the mindset of a chronic uh, complainer. Um, There's a lot of things that we can uh, grumble about. There are a lot of ways that we can complain. There are a lot of venues for 
for complaining and grumbling. One of the newest ones that I've been aware of in the new neighborhood that I moved into about a year ago is the Facebook page for our neighborhood. Anybody have an HOA Facebook page that is like nonstop grumbling and complaining? Boy, man, if you want to just have a chuckle and also see some uh, pretty sad comments, go to your neighborhood Facebook page. It's just constant grumbling. But there's lots of things that we could complain about. There's Lots of uh, grumbling that we could be about. I wrote down a lot of them. One thing we could complain about is the weather, the traffic, our favorite sports teams, the traffic, uh, the drivers ahead of us in the traffic. I live with someone that complains about that a lot. Uh, We could complain about our neighbors. We could complain about our boss. We could complain about our spouses. We could complain about our employees. We could complain about our clients. We could complain about uh, all the emails that we could get. We could complain about our busyness. We could complain about the emails that we send that are not being returned. Uh, We could complain about job projects, school projects. We could complain about the summer time, when the summertime comes, right, moms and dads? We can complain about school teachers. We could complain about the kids at our kids' school, the kids in our kids' classes. We could complain about our political situation. We could complain about the Hillary supporters. We could complain about the Trump supporters. We can complain about those who aren't going to vote for anyone. We can complain about those who are running. We can complain about those who are not running. We could complain about taxes. We can complain about the preacher. We complain about the long sermon. We complain about why do they have the kids in here today? This is such chaos. This is, this is not the way I wanted to start church. We could complain about the songs. We can complain on and on and on. There's lots of things uh, to complain about. And the difficult thing is the extent of this verse. Look at it again, verse 14. Do all things, all things without grumbling or complaining without arguing. That's tough, isn't it? This, uh, on Friday, I decided to be a good dad and take my kids to the skate park so they could you know, let go of some energy, and I decided I'd surprise them and take them to Sonic on the way, happy hour, and so they didn't know I was going to do that, and I pulled off, and the dad, where are you going? I'm taking you to Sonic. Yeah, all right, you know, my son, the daughter, the friend of the son, like, yeah, we're going to go to Sonic. I pull in, order the drinks, and then the drinks come, and the first thing I hear is, you got minis instead of smalls? This is so small. This is terrible. This is the worst day of my life. I quickly thought, well, there's a sermon illustration. (laughs) You ever just, you ever just hear your kids complaining over and over and over again, nothing can be right, and then you find yourself complaining about your kids complaining? (laughs) Nah, that's just me. Uh, Well, uh, I don't agree with everything that John MacArthur says, but John MacArthur has said it like this. Why do, why do such complaining today? Why are we such complainers? John MacArthur writes this, modern Western society is the most prosperous culture in the history of mankind and also arguably the most discontented society ever. As the economy has become increasingly richer, people appear more discontent and complain more with each passing generation. Fueling that enchantment is the conviction that personal happiness, though elusive and unattained, is the supreme objective of life. We have so much, but we complain so much. And my happiness is ultimate. Man, I didn't think I was going to get a Sonic 
slushy today, but the fact that I got one, but it wasn't what I wanted just ticks me off. And not to pick, up on, our, pick on our kids too much because we do the, the exact same thing, don't we? Often, unfortunately. It's interesting, you know, Philippians, the church there is basically a pretty good church. I've said to you weeks you know, in the past that this is, this is one of the most positive examples of a church that we have in the New Testament. And yet we come to this part where he says, quit grumbling. There must have been some complaining in this church. That's why he's addressing it. And it's a big deal to God. It's a big deal that we complain. You know, it's another big deal to God that we'll get to in chapter four that he addresses there is this whole idea that's so within us and within our culture too. And that's the idea of worry. You ever wondered when your worry turns to sinfulness? When you're complaining is grumbling and sinful complaining. You know, the church in Corinth has big problems as he writes to them. You know, hey, you guys are sleeping around. You're divisive. You're suing one another within your church. What in the heck's wrong? You're all divisive about who's the best preacher and who you're going to follow and all this. That's really big problems. You come to Philippians and the problems are only, hey, you're kind of arguing amongst yourselves. You're too worried. You're too anxious about everything. He's going to get to that in chapter four, as I said. But to God, it's, it's a big deal. And why is it a big deal? Because think about it. What do complaining and worrying have in common? What they have in common is a distrust in God, a failure to trust him in complaining for the present, for the present circumstances. And worry is typically a distrust in God for the future. We're worrying about something that hasn't even happened yet or an outcome that might happen because of a present circumstance, right? Both complaining and worry are ultimately at their core a distrust in the goodness of God, a distrust in the sovereignty of God. When I complain, I'm saying, God, this this is not what I deserve. When I worry, I'm saying, God, I'm not sure you've got this. And both are a distrust in God. Kevin DeYoung says this, Kevin DeYoung says, we grumble when neither past provision nor future promises have any bearing on present pain. We grumble when neither past provision nor future promises have any bearing on the present pain. I think he's right. We look in the immediate and the here and now and we think, well, we're comparative. I don't have it as good as so-and-so or this is worse than so-and-so has it. We don't stop and consider, let's think about my situation and let's think about God's faithfulness in the past, how he's brought me through everything, how he's always provided for me and the promises that he gives me, forget this, joy complete one day. Eternal, unfathomable joy that is coming our way right in the immediate. Now that's easy for me to say and that's really hard for us to do, okay? But we've got to fight complaining. And how do we do that? We'll talk about how we do that in a minute. But as we move on in the passage, as he's talking about grumbling, he gives us an alternative. Look in verse 15 and following. He says, do all things without grumbling or disputing or arguing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish. And let me stop right there. He wants us to, our speech to be Christ-like so that we're blameless, so that the world looks at us and they don't say, that person is a complainer. That person is a chronic complainer. That there's not a charge against us, that we're above reproach. Some versions say not innocent, but pure. The word there is used of undiluted wine. Pure, innocent wine. And not children of the world, but children of God without blemish. 
That without blemish was the same word used to describe the perfect sacrifices that were supposed to be given in the sacrificial system. You had to find that animal, that lamb or whatever, that was without blemish. That's going to be significant as we get down to verse 17 where he starts talking about sacrifices. But he wants us to be that example, that prize of God that is without blemish, blameless, innocent children of God. And look at the context for which we are to not complain or to which we are to be children of God without blemish. What's the context? The context in which we have to live out this distinctively Christian life is described like this in verse 15. In the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Now, that doesn't have any relevance for us today, right? That was just the first century. We don't live in a twisted and crooked generation. Yeah, wow, aren't we concerned? Aren't we worried? Don't we often complain even about the culture around us and where we're headed? But guess what? The only place you have to live the Christian life is in a twisted and crooked generation. That's the culture that they were living at as he writes this. First century, 21st century, it's a crooked and twisted generation. It's a crooked and twisted culture. But that's where we have to live faithfully, and it's not ours to grumble about the culture. I'm not saying that we don't have a right to critically think through things in a democratic process, to voice our concerns and, and to let our understanding of truth be heard, but not to be belly achers, not to be whiners but to suck it up and live distinctively Christian in a twisted and crooked generation by which we shine as lights. What's the alternative to complaining? It's shining as lights in this world. I want you to underline a couple words here. The words there, first of all, in the midst of, underline it. We live our lives not away from the wider culture, We don't escape and go retreat or run away from the world, but we live for Christ in the midst of. One uh, seminary professor, Howard Hendricks, he said, there can be no impact without contact. There can be no impact without contact. To make a difference in the world, we have to live in the midst of the world and also underline among whom. We're living in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. We're We're living among whom as we shine as lights and then underline the word in, in the world. We have to live in the world. It's the only place to be faithful. We can't be faithful Christians if we all go off and live in a monastery and protect and build high walls and protect ourselves from the terrible, bad, you know, awful culture around us. And we also have to shine as lights, which means we can't become like the culture around us, right? We're, dis- we're lights. We're distinctively Christian. We're not giving in to the culture, but we're also not running from the culture. We're living in the midst of it, shining as lights. We think our culture is bad. Guess what? Even in the first century, it was crooked and twisted. L- listen, uh, listen to these words. Uh, I won't tell you who wrote them until after I read them to you, but listen, li- listen to this description of culture. The world is passing through troubling times. The young people of today think of nothing but themselves. They have no reverence for parents or old age. They are impatient of all restraint. They talk as if they knew everything, and what passes for wisdom with us is as foolishness to them. As for the girls, they are forward, immodest, and unladylike in speech, behavior, and dress." How about that scathing social criticism? 
When do you think that was written? What decade, what century do you think that was written? When was Footloose made? When was Footloose made? In the 80s. You know, you might be thinking, wow, that, that describes our culture, right? Crooked and twisted. That, that was written in 1074 by a guy named Peter the Hermit. The Hermit. Tells you a little bit about why he was a hermit. That's what he thought was happening around him. You know, we think the world's bad. We think it might be getting worse. The truth is, in the first century, Paul writes, it was crooked and twisted. And in 1074, it looked like the ladies were just so immodest and unladylike. Well, here we are again. Sorry to pick on the ladies. That was, that was not intentional at all, I promise. The world's always been crooked. The world's always been twisted. But our role is not to run from the world. Our role is not to conform to the world, but to shine as lights in the world. And this is the, these are the words of Jesus. John chapter 17, verse 15, he's praying to the Father, and this is what Jesus says. He says, I do not ask, Father, that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. If God takes his people from the, wor- from the world, who's going to be his messengers? Who's going to be the salt and light? Who's going to be the positive influence to the neighbors that need Christ? Who's going to shine the light of Christ in your workplace if not us, if not you? Jesus also said in a Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 16, he talked about this illustration of light. He said, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. We can't run away. We can't start a new America. We can't secede from the union, though you may think that's what we should do. But we have to live, we have to shine as lights in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. It's been said, when the darkness comes, you can have one of three responses. You can deny the darkness, you can complain about the darkness, or you can be a light. And I believe there's a time to criticize the culture. I believe there's a time to speak up for truth and righteousness. I don't think that always means you're complaining. But what I would say to us this morning is that though the world is dark, though the world is twisted and crooked, let us as Centennial Church, let us as ministers and missionaries of the gospel go out into the world, not hiding it, not hiding our hope, not hiding our light, but living distinctively like Christ with hope, not with pessimism, not with ought to hell with the world, but with the hope that we have in Jesus. You can deny the darkness, you can complain about the darkness, or you can be a light. And that's attractive to the world. It may not be immediately. Listen to the way the Christians were described in the third century by another uh, early writer. Listen, listen to, the, to the magnetism of the way Christians lived in what's described here in the third century. I love this. kind of long, so bear, bear with me here. This is uh, written by a guy named Diogenes. And Diogenes says this, for Christians are not distinguished from the rest of mankind, either in locality or in speech or in customs. For they dwell not somewhere in cities of their own, neither do they use some different language nor practice an extraordinary kind of life. But while they dwell in the cities of Greeks and barbarians as the lot of each is cast, 
and follow the native customs and dress and food and other arrangements of life. They dwell in their own countries, but only as sojourners. They bear their share in all things as citizens, and they endure all hardships as strangers. Every, every foreign country is a fatherland to them, and every fatherland is foreign. They marry like all other men and beget children, but they do not cast away their offspring. They have all their meals in common, but not their wives. They find themselves in the flesh, and that they, yet they live not after the flesh. Their existence is on earth, but their citizenship is in heaven. They obey the established laws, and they surpass the laws in their own lives. They love all men, and they are persecuted by all. They are put to death, and yet they are endued with life. They are in beggary, and yet they make many rich. They are reviled, and they bless. They are insulted, and they respect. Doing good, they are punished as evildoers. Being punished, they rejoice as if they were thereby quickened by life. They were in the world, but not of the world. They were good citizens, but they were sojourners. They were countrymen, but their citizenship was in heaven. They had all things in common except their wives. They lived distinctively different. They, did, they lived distinctively Christian from the twisted and crooked culture around them. I think in the days ahead, we can make an even greater difference because our light shines brighter in darkness than it does in the light. I've talked before that as a church family, how do, how do we make a difference in this Collin County community? Let me uh, say one thing that I've said before is that we become people shining as lights who are radically relational. Meaning this, meaning in a, in a tech-crazed world, in an isolated, uh, each-to-his-own world with fences high, we radically connect with people. We, we invite our neighbors over for a barbecue. We slow our pace down in a, in a culture that is so busy about success and accumulation and achievement. We slow our pace down to build depth with friends, to sit and think deeper about the things that are most important in life rather than the hustle and bustle and the busyness of things that are spinning around us. In a, in a, in a culture of accumulation, we say, what can I do to sacrifice for others? Everybody in Collin County wants new, wants better, wants more. How do we as Christians live distinctively sacrificial lives? giving and not getting. We have an opportunity to shine as lights in a crooked and twisted generation. How are we going to do that? How are we going to move from complaining to move from shining as lights? How are we going to move from murmuring and grumbling to living lives of hopeful joy? How does that happen? I could just stop here at verse 14 and say, the Bible says, stop complaining. So, amen, go and do that. Okay, all right, well, just crank it up, self-will myself to quit complaining. How do we come, how do we become people of joy and not people of complaining and people of negativity? Well, I think there's some, 
some hints here in the final few verses. As he talks about a couple of terms here, he talks about holding fast to the word of life. And then he also talks about in verse 17 how they're, that he's, he's okay to be a drink offering, that they're, they're, they themselves are sacrificial offerings to God. There's this language of the word of life and there's this language of sacrifice. What is all this language of sacrifice in this passage for? Why is he talking about sacrifices? Well, if you remember in the Old Testament, they had the, the Jews would practice many different types of sacrifices and God had given them these sacrifices to cover their sins, to make atonement for their sins. And they would bring these animals and they would sacrifice them. And then the drink offering was, was a liquid or a, 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 some type of oblation that they would pour on top of the sacrifice was called a drink offering. But you know that in the New Testament at the coming of Christ, the, all Christian believers stopped sacrificing And they believed that Jesus was the final, full sacrifice. So no longer was a sacrifice needed. We had in Jesus the final, full sacrifice. So no more sacrifices were needed. So why does he talk to them about sacrifices? It's not a sacrifice for sin. It's not a sin offering, but it's a thanksgiving offering. He's saying the sacrifice that you give is not something to cover your sins, but it's a thanksgiving sacrifice. Why is it a thanksgiving sacrifice? Because get this, the word of life, who is Jesus, became your final sacrifice. The word of life, the one who created life, the life that came to this earth as the the image of the invisible God. He was the word of life with all power. The word of life became death. The one who gave life gave himself in sacrifice. So as we approach our complaining, as we approach the, approach the difficult things in our lives, what he's saying here is fix your eyes on Jesus, as the author of Hebrews says. Fixing our eyes on Jesus who... For the joy set before him endured the cross. If there was any one person on this earth that could rightly complain about their lot, it was Jesus, wasn't it? Totally deserving of of worship, totally undeserving of, of the injustices that were done to him. The only one that rightfully could complain instead gave his life for complainers. Even as he hung on the cross, he heard the complaints, he heard the jeers. How do you overcome complaining and negativity? It says you hold fast to the word of life. You preach the gospel to yourselves every day that says there was one who could have complained that didn't, that the word of life became death for me so that one day I could have the fullness of joy. He endured the cross for the joy set before him. As you hold fast to Jesus, every day, daily, as you preach the gospel to yourselves, you realize, if Jesus has done this for me, what could I possibly endure that would be even close to comparing to what Jesus has endured? You hold fast to Jesus and you realize that your obedience is just a thanksgiving offering in light of his obedience. 
in light of his obedience, in light of the life that he's given us, in light of the life that is to come, what can we possibly complain about? To complain is to say, I deserve better. And to rejoice is to say, God, you have been better to me than I deserve. To complain is to say, I deserve better. To rejoice is to say, Jesus is enough. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Hold on to the word of life and let your grumblings and your complainings and your murmuring fade into the background as you fix your eyes on Jesus. Pray with me. Father God, we confess that uh, we are more uh, complaining sometimes than rejoicing in what you have given us. And Lord, we pray that you would forgive us of our grumbling, forgive us of our complaining. And Lord, we pray that the person and work of Jesus would be at the forefront of our mind, that when the present pain comes, we would look to Jesus who took all of our deserved pain and placed it on himself and promises a life without pain and a life of complete joy to come. Holy Spirit, when we are tempted to complain, would you remind us of God's faithfulness in the past and of his sure promises for the future? And let us be people of hope and joy in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. It's in the matchless name of Jesus we pray. Amen.